Today on the Almond Journey podcast. Our holer was significantly impacted by the freeze and that affects everybody, but we can still come to work trying new innovative ways of doing things. We can still come to work valuing each other. John Lee Dunn, almond grower and growth and development manager at Henderson Farms, joins the show. Welcome back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. It's on this show that we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I get to travel up and down the valley, virtually in most cases, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their local communities, and advance this almond industry. Today, we head north on I-5 up to Arbuckle, California, to visit with almond grower John Lee Dunn. John Lee is also the growth and development manager at Henderson Farms, which is a 52-person company that farms around 5,000 acres between owned and managed acreage, most of it almonds, but also a little bit of pecans and grapes as well. John Lee and her husband farm 120 acres of their own, in addition to her work there at Henderson Farms. Today's conversation was recorded about a year ago now at the Almond Conference 2022, and we talk about why Henderson Farms prioritizes employee growth and development, how they carry out their company core values every day, why their mission statement doesn't say anything about farming, even though that's obviously what they do, and the benefits to scaling an operation to the level that employees can specialize in what they're best at. First, though, John Lee shares about her almond journey and how her family, the Hendersons, began their farming operation in Northern California. Well, kind of the beginning of our journey as Henderson Farms really started with my grandpa 70 years ago. Uh, as he Moved his young family from Benicia to Arbuckle and said, I want to farm. That's my vision. Bought a small piece of land, planted almonds, became a salesman for Sierra Gold Nurseries. And that was the beginning of our family's journey. And then as my dad, after he graduated college and was kind of figuring out what he wanted to do, met my mom. They got married. And I really think she was the motivation for them to get into farming because she was from Los Angeles and had always dreamed of living in the country. <laughs> but, the, you know, there wasn't really enough land from on my grandpa's side to support two families. So my dad started a management business. And that was really the beginning of Henderson Farms. And so I grew up in that environment, that culture. And I think I think from the time I was little, I always wanted to own a piece of land. I just think it was embedded in me. I could care less about buying a house. I could care less about buying a new car. But there was something in me at a young age that, like, that sounded cool. I wanted a picnic area on my piece of property. So, but when I graduated college, I got involved in ag policy. Loved it for a few years, but through a lot of different interactions with people, realized it wasn't my absolute passion. And I wanted to, um, you know, be involved in farming. And so came back to Henderson Farms and at, right at that time, there was an opportunity to manage some uh, walnut orchard. So took that. And then the next kind of opportunity that came was an opportunity to buy 60 acres of bare ground and um, barely had enough for a down payment, but did it. And uh, that was the beginning of my journey, sort of on my own, but also in partnership with Henderson Farms and uh, still have that. But I think it was fun for me. It was like I was making my own decisions on what to plant, where to plant, how to plant, but at the same time was part of Henderson Farms, which was also my passion and working with my dad. And I loved both of those. So did that for many years and also helped manage our holer, sheller, and then um, got married, moved to Modesto, 
decided to take a break from Henderson Farms for a few years and uh, still doing the, the, well, the name of the ranch is Bird Creek, still managing Bird Creek in conjunction with Henderson Farms, but recently decided I missed it. So now I'm just commuting two hours, but only twice a week. I come on Tuesday and then I go back on Thursday. So Bird Creek is, is where? Uh, actually in Dunnigan, which is the town next to Arbuckle, but it's actually in a different county, in Yolo County. Okay. Okay. Very cool. And and so you bought bare ground and you planted trees on it. Yeah. And you planted almonds? Yep. Or almonds? Either way. <laughs> <laughs> was that like a no-brainer or was that a process to kind of get getting to that decision? It was a no-brainer, but probably if I hadn't, if I looked back, it probably should have been a larger decision, but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> I'm really glad it worked. It worked out great and I love it. And so was it different, you know, because uh, you, you've been around farm management your entire life. Was it different making decisions kind of for your for your own ground? And absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I loved it. I loved it. Still do. Still do. And my husband and I together just bought uh, another 60-acre orchard and planted Independence, my first time ever planting self-fertile almonds. But uh, yeah, it, it was. It was different. It was fun. It's fun being part of Henderson Farms, but it's also fun doing some my own thing on like, um, in conjunction with it. Right. So, I, I mean, I think it's encouraging to hear, I know you said, you know, barely could get enough money for the down payment, but like you're doing it right. It is still possible for someone to kind of like get started. Uh, and I think that's it cool. Is. It is. I will say it was a <laughs> perfect timing, perfect land price timing and prices. Of, I mean, it, I do believe it. Nothing is impossible when you really set your mind to it, but I do unfortunately think the challenges are a lot harder if, unless you have more resources than I had at that time, if that makes sense. I mean, even just the orchard we just planted, I mean, only 11 years later, and I mean, it costs three times as much just to plant the same acreage of orchard, you know, and, and it's just the reality of where we are. Land prices are way higher than when I bought that land. There are real challenges, but there's also real opportunities. So somebody who's passionate, I believe if you're passionate about it and um, you get the right team of people around you, you can do it. Yeah. So what, what kind of, uh, what are those big challenges that, that both, you know, you and your own farm and, and your family farm that you work for that, that you're facing that you're kind of addressing with, uh, with your yeah. role? Well, I'll just say as a company and what my role is, so it's kind of twofold. We've realized over the years that it's easy to carry core values when you're very small. You know, when my parents started Henderson Farms back in the 80s, had a couple employees, their core values easily caught. Core values of doing work with excellence, doing work with integrity, uh, doing everything to the best of your ability and farming others, people's ranches just like your own. Our core value that's unique to us is one of hope that I can explain later. But when you only have a couple employees, those things catch because you work with them every single day. As we grew and as we ha farmed more acreage and we had more managers and more clients and were spread out all over two different counties, we found that it was important to us not to lose those core values. And it's easy to do even when you're trying to be intentional about it. So my position really is to, part of the position I would say, is to um, make all of our employees feel valued, feel seen recognize strengths, recognize passions they have, and try to help develop those and make sure they realize there are growth opportunities for you here. Or if you decide to take whatever you learn here and go take it somewhere else, um, we're excited for you in that as well. We'd love for you to stay with us, but 
as long as you're growing, we're happy for you, what you do. And what's the reaction uh, from the employees when you, when you have that very conversation with them? I would say it's a learning process. I mean, they're excited about it, but then what does that look like? What do you actually mean? Are your actions going to actually match what you're telling us that you value? And not just you, but your managers, right? Like I can say it all I want in the front you know, of 52 employees, but are they seeing it carried out in our managers? Are they seeing it carried out in our daily interactions? And that's where it's going to matter because we can write it on our walls, we can put it on our doors, but that's not going to mean anything if we're not actually living it out. And so I think when they see us living it out, they may not be able to articulate what those core values are, but our hope is that they're going to talk to their friends and family and say, I love working there because they care that I have family time. They care that I do excellent work. Man, at Henderson Farms, they treat all their ranches just like their own ranches. And if they can say those things, I know they've kind of got it. Um, so that's our heart. When it comes to challenges that we face, you know, specifically right now, and I mean, anybody here at this conference, the Ammon Board Conference, any grower can tell you some of those challenges, whether it's drought in Northern California, but a huge freeze affected, you know, a lot of our production, a lot of our ranches, and especially our holer sheller input costs, inflation. I can list all the same things everybody else can. And we know that those are realities, but we can still come to work every day honoring each other, having a positive attitude. And that's how the challenges of the ag industry affect my job, because we don't want to just sugarcoat those um, challenges. But at the same time, we want it to still be a positive experience every day we come to work. We still enjoy working together. We're still passionate about what we do. We're still trying to innovate and be creative and find new ways of doing things, maybe because of challenges, not in spite of the challenges. So that's kind of how it impacts that. The other thing I would say, one of our core values is hope. And hope is harder to define. And for us, it's a position of the heart that we try to have influence all we do. To us, it means we don't just make decisions based on bad news or because of fear or anxiety. And so, yeah, the reality might be <laughs> our holer was significantly impacted by the freeze and to the point where about a quarter of the production it would normally have. That affects everybody, but we can still come to work trying new innovative ways of doing things. We can still come to work valuing each other. And so even in the midst of reality, having hope guide what we do. So that's kind of how the challenges of the ammon industry. And I mean, every year it has challenges, but I think right now we're feeling them more, at least maybe more than we have, at least in most of my time at Henderson Farms, which has mostly been the past, I'd say 10, 11 years, where at our, on our leadership team, we're looking at them and saying, okay, these are the realities. Are we able to pivot if we need to? Are we able to see opportunities and not just get down about them, but see that there are also opportunities for growth? What are new things that we haven't thought about in the past that we might need to get involved in? And I can give examples of that later. But um, as an overarching management team and leadership team, that's where we're looking at them and saying, okay, are we still accomplishing our mission statement of our, which is creating growth opportunities for our employees and our clients? And in our in our mission statement, very purposefully, it doesn't say anything about almond farming. It doesn't say anything about um, you know leasing or managing. It says what we care about is that we're creating growth opportunities for our clients and our employees. And if we're doing that at the end of the day, we're succeeding. And we can do that if we're passionate about what we're doing. And if we're able to pivot when we need to, 
I'm not saying we have all the answers on how to do that, but the goal is that we can be innovative and creative just like others in the Ammon industry are doing, just like the Ammon board is doing, just like Blue Diamond and so many other handlers are doing. They're finding innovative ways to take hard situations like supply chain issues and create opportunities. How can we do that so that we're still creating growth opportunities, even if that means our portfolio isn't just growing Ammons? Right. Right. And so taking those core values and, and instilling those in employees and re- reminding them of, of what you just said, yeah. um, what does that look like? Short of telling them and setting the example, what else can can a company do to help sort of instill values? Well, one thing we're doing, <laughs> a little spoiler alert, because we're actually haven't even introduced this to the uh, employees yet, but we will be very soon. So I feel comfortable saying it. One thing, this is new, but our, our employee performance evaluations are not going to be just about how they do it, what their job is, or just based on job performance, but how they do it. And so we're taking our core values and we're trying to define them. You know, before our, our performance evaluation said, what's well, punctuality comes to work on time. Now it's values other people's time and opinion. And then, you know, under integrity, does everything to the best of their ability, even when there's no manager around. Uh, so we're taking what was more of a very traditional performance evaluation, teamwork, communication, how did you do in, you know, getting tasks accomplished, but we're turning it around and saying, we care about those things because one of our core values is excellence, but we care more about how you're interacting with the people around you and with our clients. And so from now, you know, our performance evaluations are going to be, how are you living out the core values of Henderson Farms, not just the actual work that you do? And we, the managers are aware, and we what we decided is we can't just, it's not fair to somebody to sit them down and be like, okay, now this is the new thing. There needs to be a little bit of education about that. There needs to be some buy-in, or we won't, we can't do it that way, because that's not fair. And how do you objectively kind of evaluate those things? Hmm. No idea. Oh. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Um, I would say it's the managers. It's the managers and the leads. The managers and the leads who work with the employees every single day who are noticing things. And we have a great, excellent group of employees, and I'm proud to work with them every single day. And I can honestly say we have managers who just exemplify, oh, they're the reason I love coming to work because they they do get it and they do carry our core values. And so... I trust when they say this employee shows A, B, C, and D, and that they they give them a five or even a four, which is still a good score on that performance evaluation, it's because they've noticed it in that employee, and they can give examples. So I'd say that's the best way you can objectively sort of measure somebody in that. You can give examples of, I mean, none of us live up to it perfectly. I don't live up to our own core values perfectly. We all have room for improvement, but we can give examples of how they are and where they can improve. Right. No, that makes sense. And uh, is, are there any example? I know we we very quickly could wade into territory that's confidential, but are there any examples you can sort of generalize for me of where this process has really shown like we are doing the right thing by putting this much emphasis on our core values and instilling them in our employees? I love it when I can hear people, and actually they won't tell me as much, but I'll hear it from managers or other employees um, people in the community who've noticed, you know, who notice, or it's when an employee's wife says something to me like um, that, hey, you know, 
my husband just loves coming to work because he feels valued and he feels seen and he loves that, you, you know, that you guys care about the core values and I recognized him for, you know, A, B and C. Um, so I, when I hear feedback from other people who aren't necessarily employees of Henderson Farms, that's one way. And employee retention, you know, the labor market is hard. And one of the huge challenges we have in our county, especially, which is kind of interesting because it's not even the Bay Area, but affordable housing is, I mean, Calusa County and Yolo, I mean, affordable housing is huge. So many of our really good employees, it's hard to um, pay them enough for the housing market in the area. But the fact that they've been with us for 10, 15 years um, to me, employee retention and seeing that they're excited still to come to work, that's, I guess, employee retention is one, one way we can measure somehow, you know, whether or not it's catching. You asked me earlier about other things, and I just only mentioned one, which was a job performance thing. But the other thing is we do some sort of a employee of the quarter. And a lot of the criteria for that is how they exhibit the core values of Henderson Farms. So um, that's one common thing we've been doing for you know years, but we've been able to sort of emphasize our core values within that. And again, it's not so much I care that they can recite the core values, but that they catch the heart of them. Yeah, and I think that that, that people piece is just so important, but but often either left out or just kind of like said and not backed up. And that's why I think what, what you're doing is so cool. I mean, it's so uh, valuable because I think if if you all, and I know you said you make mistakes still, of course, you're, everybody does. But if you can kind of figure that piece out of like, how do we make people really feel valued and not really feel valued, really be valued and know that they're valued yes. in the workplace Um that is a, a really important problem to solve. Yeah, no, it, it is. Um, and we have a language barrier, too. I mean, we have a lot of employees who speak only English. We have a lot of employees who speak only Spanish. And so it makes that communication barrier even harder because you want to just have this great deep conversation and you're limited. But, you know, there's an additional complexity to carrying out that culture. But I still think people can know what kindness is and a smile is universal. So, you know, it's not impossible, but there is that challenge. Sure. Well, what, what other, you know, challenges are you all facing? You know, you're, you're up North. So you, you have water problems like everybody else, but maybe a little bit different than uh, some other people. But, you know, what are the big problems that you all are facing in your operation? Um, both in your brand new, not brand new, or 60 acres of them are brand new, uh, but also in your established company in Henderson Farms. Um, one of the things I'll just talk about right now that is big for us uh, is a lot of our heavy equipment and a lot, I mean, all of our machines are just getting more and more and more advanced, especially with emission regulation and the deaf technology that needs to happen. It used to be, and we have great mechanics, but they're mechanics. And what we're really seeing is What's needed for a lot of repair jobs right now are technicians, somebody who has a computer who's been trained in a lot of the computer technology to diagnose issues. And we have obviously supply chain issues. So we're in the middle of harvest piece of machinery breaks down. It used to be you could, you know, send out your great mechanic, they could fix it and you're back on the road running, you know, pretty quickly uh, where now something's breaking down. 
We don't have the technology to diagnose it. It's all computer driven. We don't have the technicians to be able to do it. We call the, you know, the equipped ones and they're booked out for two weeks. A lot of times it's just a two or three hundred, four hundred dollar part. But once we do get that technician, it's, you know, five thousand dollar service call to get them to diagnose and be able to fix it. Or you have supply chain issues where you have a really, really expensive piece of equipment part that goes out. You don't have a ton of those inventory. Used to be you could call, you'd get it in a few days. And now it's like, oh, you'll have it in a month. You know, so that's a challenge I would say. Um, I don't think we're unique to it, but, you know, I haven't heard it as much. And, you know, it's um, but so what we're doing right now, actually, right now we're opening uh, we have an application job interviews going on right now, trying to hire an on-site technician and who will be our shop foreman, who is not only a good mechanic, but really somebody trained in diagnosing these issues. And if we can save you in a few service calls or have, invent, you know, somebody's good at inventory, or maybe we've even thought of partnering up with other ag businesses in the area and see if, you know, we can even share expertise and share, you know, we, these are just ideas, but how do we find better solutions when some of these high-tech equipment goes out and good servicemen are booked, you know, good technicians are booked two, three weeks out? You know, you you can't get them when you need them. So that's one thing I'd say right now that we're talking about. I mean, everyone knows the water issues, we know, input costs, inflation. We're feeling that, too. Those are very real challenges. Affordable housing, I mentioned. Um, I mean, there's there's been, I mean, throughout the history of the ammon industry, there's been issues. This isn't unique. It just feels like right now there's a lot of them all sort of piling up, but We'll innovate, we'll uh, get creative, and hopefully we'll have solutions that are sustainable and help us be even stronger in years to come. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and and, I mean, the supply chain issues, I think will get figured out. But what you're talking about more than the supply chain is is more is people, you know, it gets back to people and having good engaged people. And I think a lot of the the backlog of service providers or technicians, exactly like you're saying, and that makes sense why you're looking to hire one. Uh, Well, what keeps you optimistic? I mean, despite the the challenges that the industry is currently facing, you know, what keeps you optimistic? And um, what are you kind of looking forward to when you think about the kind of future of the almond industry? Well, I think coming to the Ammon Conference, which is where we are, always makes me hopeful again. And I mean, honestly, the work that our handlers are doing, we're talking about passionate people who are good at what they do, who are finding, they're finding solutions to hard issues like the supply chain issue and shipping our Ammons through the ports. Those are things I don't want to tackle. And I am so glad that we have people willing to do that and are good at it. And I have a lot of confidence in their ability to do that. And the Ammon board, the work they're doing in marketing and research and the health benefits. I mean, you, the Ammon industry is very uniquely positioned in that we have extensive studies, extensive data, extensive experience in facing challenges and overcoming them. And I think that that gives me hope that we have passionate people in the right positions, creating solutions and being driven to be stronger because of these challenges. Um, And I think of that whenever I get (laughs) discouraged about a new regulation or I get discouraged, you know, when I hear news of the drought, you know, not just news, but experiencing it. That encourages me when I think, you know what, we still have passionate people who are highly skilled in our industry working for solutions. And um, so that that gives me hope. Um, I think uh, it gives me hope knowing, you know, (laughs) 
Hammonds can't be grown all over any just anywhere in the world. So we're still in a very unique place in California. Yeah, we do have there's you can grow them in other countries, of course, but we're still in a very unique place. And I think moving forward, we're going to see the maybe geography of where almonds are grown be a little different. I just heard it earlier today. You're not probably going to be growing almonds in ground that kind of just produces minimal yields. When you're making more money in the almonds, you can do that. But um, at prices we're seeing right now, I think that's going to, that will change. I think the water challenges are going to, we're going to overcome them, but I think we're probably going to see almonds grown only in places where there's good sustainable groundwater and sustainable water rights. And so you're going to have highly valued property for growing almonds that have those. And I think it's going to be, even in our own ranches, we have some ranches that have, you know, better groundwater, better water, uh, I don't want to say supply, but supply than others. And we're even as a company going to look at, okay, moving forward, where do we plant almond orchards? Do we just plant them the same places that we've always planted them? Or do we get a little bit more strategic? So I think we're going to see the landscape changing, but I still am confident that there's always going to be a market for it and there's always going to be a business for it that'll just get stronger and stronger. Well, thank you very much to John Lee Dunn for being on the show today. A fun fact that I almost forgot to mention, John Lee and I were both state FFA officers together on the same team over 22 years ago. Time does fly. Thank you again to John Lee Dunn for sharing that perspective of empowering employees and leading with innovation and the strategic path forward for almonds. Well, we here at the Almond Journey podcast believe everyone in this industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders, people like John Lee Dunn, may spark a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. And that's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by following and subscribing to this show on your podcast platform of choice. And please pass it along to someone else in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together. <laughs>